Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> there are two parallels as we go into the subject of the disciples' perplexity over leaven. This really begins a longer conversation for these disciples and, and in turn with this study for us. Uh, but we look more this morning, or this afternoon rather, at their perplexity over what it is he's addressing. I want to bring your attention to the fact that their attention was not brought to him. When we read through this text, you'll see it. Their minds was, were on something else. They were already impacted by a type of leaven before this lesson even begins. So the first account's in Mark 8, verses 13 through 21, and it parallels with Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. And we'll read Mark 8 first, starting in verse 13. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and of the leaven of Herod. And they, reasoning among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among the four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And of course, we, we referenced this text last I think it was two lessons ago when we talked about it being two different miraculous feedings, the 5,000 and the 4,000. This was the proof text that there were two different incidents. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 5, we look at our parallel, written by Brother Matthew, and it says, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. They then, said, uh, then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand, that I spake it not to you concerning bread? That ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. This is what is known as the fourth retirement. We've discussed, uh, when we entered into this fourth retirement, we pointed that out. But I want you to understand geographically right now, they're near Bethsaida, where he was in his first retirement as well. This is the region of, and you can see it on the map, as we. this is still the footprints of Christ, I believe. Right, Clark? Yeah, I couldn't remember when I pulled it back out if I changed it at all. Uh, this is the, the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi on Mount Hermon, that's on that map, where no hostility had yet been aroused. They are now in the Tetrarchy of Herod Philip, which we uh, discussed in the beginning in our introduction to this series. We also revisited it a couple months back as far as the, the Tetrarchs and who was in charge of what areas. Um, Jesus was looking to quietly instruct the church for a spell, and it's believed that they would remain in this vicinity for several months based on the scriptures, as the entire retirement, this fourth retirement, lasted about six months. Matthew Henry wrote, Christ speaks of spiritual things under a similitude, 
and the disciples misunderstand him of carnal things. He took it ill that they should think him as thoughtful about bread as they were, that they should be so little acquainted with his way of preaching. Then understood they what he meant. Christ teaches by the spirit of wisdom in the heart, opening the understanding to the spirit of revelation in the word. So the very first thing I want to point out, uh, if you're looking at the outline, you'll see the first point is context, context, context. As we read through what's happening here, we need to understand the mind of the disciples. And that's, for both accounts, that's our writer. Mark is, John Mark may have been there. He may have received this from Matthew and wrote it into his account. But either way, these are disciples. We're getting their, their writing of this event. And it's a little more clear in John Mark's account, honestly, than it is Matthew. And here's why. Matthew 5 and 6, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said, that's how Matthew phrases it, but if you read the Mark account, we don't have that then. The Mark account really gives way to the idea that Jesus was teaching, just as I'm teaching now. He didn't start teaching because they were thinking about bread. He was teaching them about the dangers of the leaven. Now, he knew their thoughts. These tie together well. But the reason they're distracted is because they weren't paying attention. The reason Peter fell was because he took his eyes off the Lord and considered the storm. The reason they assume he's preaching at me, maybe the reason sometimes you assume he's preaching at me, is because they took their eyes off the Lord. They immediately looked within themselves. I forgot the bread. I forgot the bread. What are we going to do? He's going to come after us. We forgot the bread. We forgot the bread. We see in Mark's account there's even one loaf of bread, which deals with the lack of faith that Jesus references later because he's already performed this miracle twice. Twice he's already fed much larger multitudes than what they have right here on this ship with less. So there, there's a lot going on here, but to begin with, context, 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 we need to understand that and recognize that this happens just after the events of our last lesson, the lesson concerning the, the sad and the far, the Sadducees and the Pharisees demanding a sign from heaven. They were demanding a sign from heaven. But what they had that the disciples currently don't have is a more narrow attention span. It was focused. And what typically focus, fo focuses fallen man's attention span more than trying to trap somebody? Sadducees and the Pharisees were focused on the Lord Jesus' answer because they were trying to catch him. They were trying to tempt him. They were trying to trap him. The disciples don't have that same focus here. Not that they should be trying to catch him or trap him, but they should be living off every word that he has to say, every lesson that he has to teach. Though it might wear out the flesh to sit under teaching for a great amount of time, it's what we're called to do. We're called to be fed. And of every word of his mouth were the uh, revelations of heaven. Do you ever think that if they stop paying attention for a moment, like well, think, for example, when they fall asleep, I think it's three times when the inner circle is taken up and the Lord is praying and he encourages them, stay awake. Can you not pray a little while? Do you ever wonder what we, the reader, miss because they fell asleep? And I don't, I don't say this to, to put thoughts out there that we have an incomplete Bible. But it's, that lesson there is on the weariness of the flesh, is it not? These being our narrators, these being our witness, we don't have a clue what happened when they fell asleep. Now, we know what the Lord was doing before and after, but we don't know the specifics and the details that uh, theologians want to know, that we de desire to know. 
And the same is true of those that we come into contact with that we testify to. If we fell asleep during the details, if we fell asleep during the sermon, if we got weary and we weren't focused on the teaching, then what kind of witness are we going to be to those who we might be the only Bible they ever read? So this is the, the first thing I want to point out here. And it frames this lesson pretty well. Jesus was still teaching the church about the dangers of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He never really stops teaching. But what he's doing here is not addressing the fact they forgot bread. And he's not really setting out to address the fact that they're concerned about forgetting bread. He's still teaching about the previous lesson. Now, though we took a lesson break, he didn't. He's still teaching on these Pharisees and Sadducees. If you think about what he's saying there, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. He's specifically addressing what just happened previous to this. Hearing his words, they jumped to a conclusion that his preaching was directed at them because they forgot bread. How petty a God must be that would take a moment away from teaching on the most dangerous thing to his church to lash out at the church about bread. Sadly, even in today's day and age, we know preachers, we know pastors that do this with their flocks. They lash out about a specific thing. And I'm probably not excluded from this. They lash out about a thing that they know is in the midst. Now, we're called to address the things that are in our midst. We can read the letters to the Corinthian church and, and understand that. But we're not called to humiliate we're not called to beat up, and Lord is not uh, demonstrating here that we are called to do such things. So we can go both ways with that. We can understand that he's not because that's not what he would do, and we can understand that we shouldn't because that's not what he did. Why would Jesus, of all people, be upset over a lack of bread? I mean, if there was some learning curve to being the Son of God, of all the miracles that he would performed, he has this one mastered, Right? So why would he be upset about the lack of bread? Had he not proven himself more than capable of feeding the masses twice already? And these are the examples that he gives. What was left over? It's really important, too, that we hone in on what he's bringing out to them. Not that he can do it. Not even that, just that he is able to do it. But what was left over? That is the, the, the crutch of this entire conversation. They're not paying attention for what is left over, for those who remain, that are most dependent on these precious truths that he's teaching. They're focused on what they bring to the table, literally. They're focused on what God might be able to do with what they brought, and they didn't bring enough. What a devastating way of thinking. I didn't bring enough. God can't save. I didn't bring enough. God won't be glorified. I didn't bring enough. I might lose my salvation. Is that the God we serve? Is he waiting on us? Is he handicapped by our own ability to remember the ingredients that he needs to make the, the glorious cake that is salvation, that is uh, eternal life for all whom shall come and believe? No. How could they have found any meaning in the literal sense of leaven to be profitable uh, to be a profitable teaching from our Lord. Spurgeon wrote, did they imagine that he forbade their borrowing leaven from the Pharisees? Is that what they thought he was teaching? When they began to uh, make a batch of bread, was, was he teaching them who they could and who they could not borrow the ingredients from? What were they thinking? It's real easy for us to say that as armchair quarterbacks here, but what were they thinking? 
When you only hear part of a sermon, the same thing happens to you. He must be mad at me because he didn't like the dessert I made. He must be mad at me. Because, you know, all of these things run through our minds. I remember before I was a preacher, the same thing would happen to me. Why is the pastor always coming after me? Why has he always got some grudge that he's trying to iron out from the pulpit with me? Why is he constantly reading my mail? But we miss the greater purpose. There's even a blessing in bad preaching. Not so much heretical preaching, but bad preaching. There's still a lesson there. God knew who was going to be in the audience the day of that teaching, the day of that presentation. So we need to understand the context here. No, the Lord would not, did not design a sermon that day for those who uh, are forgetful and don't bring the bread. That's not, that would not have been the name of his sermon if we were to give it one. The other thing to bring out is the previous teachings. So what our text in Matthew 16 here um, it lines up pretty well with what we saw back in Matthew 13 on the previous teachings of this the same event, the same incident. If you'll turn over to Matthew 13, starting in verse 18, <clears throat> Jesus presents the parable of the sower. We won't stay on this long. We've already taught on it, but I just want to bring this back to mind because, again, as we try to answer the question, what were they thinking? This is a parable they'd already been taught on, one that they'd already heard the Lord deliver. And Jesus says here in verse 18 of Matthew 13, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth, receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the, the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Probably the most important thing for what we're studying today is what he says right there in the opening two verses. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. The Lord was teaching. The Lord was sowing unto their heart the dangers of leaven, specifically the pharisaical leaven and the leaven of Herod, which we'll explain here in a moment, Lord willing. <clears throat> but with the lack of attention, with maybe the bringing in of only a few fruits from the lesson that he was providing them, the wicked one came in. And the wicked one sowed guilt, sowed regret, sowed um, possibly envy or even jealousy into their hearts, and they're distracted. Has that ever happened to you when you're, you're in services, perhaps, and preachers preaching, Sunday school teachers teaching, whatever it might be, and something they hit on something, maybe you were listening, maybe you only heard that one part, but they hit on something, and the rest of the message, you're so distracted on that one thing. On that one thing, you're so caught up that you miss the entire lesson. This event illustrates well what Jesus had taught to the disciples here. The cares of this world choking out the seed of the word. It's very dangerous. It's dangerous for your pastor as well. I can't allow the cares of this world to choke out the seed that I've been charged to give you. And it does. It happens. 
Matthew 13, 22, in that same text, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Christ does not rebuke them because they didn't bring bread. He rebukes them because they didn't trust him to provide it. When we trust all things to the Lord, even if we're distracted for a moment that we didn't bring enough bread, oh man, it's going to require another miracle, but he is able, we can get back into focus again. We can literally approach our whole life that way. Oh no, I didn't do this, or oh no, I didn't do that, or oh no, I failed here. Oh no, I didn't do devotion. Oh no, I didn't repent. Oh no, I put the wrong books in the box, whatever it might be. And we can refresh ourselves with, he is able. He is constantly forgiving. He ever loveth me. And we're right back on track. We trust it to the Lord. These disciples had seen firsthand. We know this because in the feeding of the 5,000, who was it that distributed the bread and the fish? The disciples. Jesus blessed it. Jesus broke it. They administered it. And in the second feeding, the same thing. He blessed it. He broke it. They administered it. They knew firsthand. They literally had it in their hands. And the mathematicians of the group said it's impossible, but it happened. And all were filled if you recall from those lessons, not, not just satisfied with a taste of food, but filled. And yet, the memory of that lesson, gone with the distractions of this world. If the disciples who did not have iPhones, did not have streaming services, didn't even know what a television show was, these disciples could get so easily distracted. Do you not feel that it might be possible that we today could get even a tiny bit distracted during services? Tiny bit distracted when we're studying? I know Clark and I have talked about this a lot. Even just sitting down to try to read the Word, we can get distracted. Not necessarily by a real squirrel, but a metaphorical one that just continues to run by as we try to study, as we try to focus on the Word of God. It happens because the flesh is weak. No matter how willing the Spirit is, the flesh is weak. So what are some things that we can do to pay more attention to the Word of God? Stand up. Most of the time when I do devotion, I'm sitting down. Maybe I'm even laying on the bed or sitting in my recliner with my feet up and I lose my attention. But if I stand up, if I read it out loud even, some of the morning devotions that I share from uh, James Smith, I used to just read them in my head, you know, share them on Facebook or to you all and then move on. And then I started to find I'm not retaining it. I'm not remembering it. I'll sit in the morning and say that these are the things that I believe. These are the things I confess. This is how my day will be uh, determined because I trust in the Lord. And then by noon, I've already yelled at a customer or a co-worker or I've lost my cool with the kids. So now I read it out loud. Now the kids will be waiting outside my prayer closet to hear if I read it out loud. I do. I whisper it to myself because I hear it which is a, a chemical reaction in the brain. I say it, which is a chemical reaction in the brain, because I'm desperate to retain it. And we should be. We should be desperate to retain the reading of the Word of God. We should be desperate to retain the writings of God's men. We should be desperate to retain the sermons that are preached specifically for us. Every sermon that comes behind this pulpit, if it's ordained of God, is for you. It's for you. Are we desperate to retain it? 
These disciples on a boat, off a boat, on a boat, off a boat, all around the sea and coming back down again. We, we talked about the geography of this whole thing. And you see the blue and red stripes of where they've been. And this lesson is no less important for them to pay attention to. I wonder if physically Jesus isn't, hey, up here, I hear your thoughts about the bread. Focus. This lesson that he's delivering isn't about the bread. It's about what makes the bread. It's about the leaven, which is the rising agent in bread. They're all caught up in the bread, bread, bread. When he's up here saying about the leaven and how dangerous it is and how defiling it is, they hear him saying, bread, 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 bread. They're distracted. They're caught up in their sins. Consecrate the flesh. Bear your cross. Follow after me. This is what Jesus says. Don't get distracted by the sins because there is now no more condemnation. There is now no more ankle weights. There is now no more heavy water for you to trudge against because with me, you walk upon it. With me, you are more than conquerors. With me, you can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Every little distraction that we are all anchored with here today, he's overcome it. And then he says, can I now have your attention? Do you yet believe? So the lesson of the leaven. And this is where we'll conclude. Jesus used the discussion about bread to warn his disciples to avoid false teachings. This comes back to context, context, context. It's not the other way around. He wasn't deliberately distracting them with a lesson on bread to get to the lesson on leaven. He was using their distraction of bread to illustrate his lesson on leaven. He compared false teaching to yeast. It is small but powerful and it spreads quickly. Leaven is used in a small part to have an impact on the whole. And it does. As Jews, the twelve were acquainted with the symbolism of leaven at the Passover. Exodus 12 verses 18 through 20 Moses was instructed in the first month on the 14th day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread." Sounds kind of important, does it not? So what's it say for the Gentiles? Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to you that if ye be circumcised, uh, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Paul says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Uh, there's four sermons in those last two verses. But I want you to think specifically of what he says there when he says, Ye did run well. Take that personal. He's talking to you. Ye did run well. 
But he doesn't say, what did hinder you? Was it the bread? Was it Demas? Was it Biden? Was it politics? Was it gas prices? Was it gluten? Was it corn? He says, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Who held you up? Who slowed you down? Who distracted you? Remove it. And he, we know he's calling for us to remove it because he closes with a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. That leaven shouldn't have been there. Who did hinder you? Who permitted the leaven to be there? In whatever devotional practice that you have, if it's not working right now and you're distracted, who hindered you? Where's the leaven? The persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Who called? It was God. We can go to Ephesians 1 and 2 and see all that, but I think we understand that from our previous lessons. Who doth hinder you? It wasn't God. That's what Paul says. A little leaven, a little outside agent mingled into your worship. What are the ingredients for worship? Spirit and truth. You bowing down to the will of God the Father in spirit and in truth. Anything else introduced into that is leaven. What Jesus references here as the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And we see that in Luke 12 verse 1 worldly compromise and utter disregard for right and wrong in the face of personal gain that was the leaven of Herod rationalism or skepticism and religion and willingness to compromise for political favor that was the leaven of the Sadducees I would suggest that if the Lord had three points to his Baptist sermon here those were the three points had nothing to do with the bread he was teaching them on these dangerous leavening agents that existed in their world. And it exists in ours as well. But they missed that lesson. Or they delayed that lesson at the very least because they were distracted. They had already been leavened. They had already been leavened. If the early church was already overcome by the appetites and physical needs how close would they be to losing themselves to these same concerns that Jesus was teaching them about? Hypocrisy, leaven of the Pharisees, worldly compromise and utter disregard for right and wrong in the face of personal gain, the leaven of Herod, rationalism or skepticism in religion and willingness to compromise for political favor was the leaven of the Sadducees. Boy, we could illustrate those three points pretty well, couldn't we? Those same dangers are in our life today. Notice his concern for their spiritual needs. Now, I wonder what it is like to be 100% God, 100% man. If he heard the chaos that was happening in their hearts and their minds, he heard them thinking and uttering to themselves about the bread while he's trying to teach such an important lesson. And he says in a double warning here, take heed and beware of the leaven. The same thing happens now. Think of, of all that we've seen in three years. Is there not a, 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 an enticing to worldly compromise for personal gain? Boy, the preachers keep saying it's going to get hard. Sunday school teacher keeps saying you're not going to want to be around for these things. Maybe I should get out of here. Maybe I should compromise with the world now for my own personal gain of protection to not be identified with the Persians or the Christians in this circumstance. 
rationalism and skepticism. Oh, global warming, world's coming to an end. That's not what the Word of God says. But that's what the leaven of the Sadducees suggests. There is no resurrection. It continues on with their belief system. This is their conviction. These same leavening agents exist now. Hypocrisy. What's the first thing that happened with COVID? Dear churches, you're non-essential. I don't bring that up because as a pastor, I feel like my job is threatened. Look out there. I have more job security now than I ever did. I say that because we allowed for it to happen. We had been leavened into thinking that because we're a Christian nation, God somehow speaks to some figurehead rather than us. We had literally had our understandings distorted to the point where we are waiting on some type of popish figure to interpret the times for us. But you don't need that. You have the Word of God. You need an attention span. You need a, a, a desire, a great desire for it. It's something I, I ran across this morning. And I shared it on Facebook. I can't remember the scripture now. But it talked about uh, having a desire to be in the house of the Lord. It was the first time I'd ever read that verse and actually thought, I wonder if we ever pray for that. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to come here sometimes, to hear some things you don't want to hear. Maybe there's other reasons that it's hard. But do we ever pray for a desire to be here, a longing desire to be with God's people, to stand in front of God's people, to sing for God's people, to sing with God's people? A desire to be of a comfort to a mourning family, like what we got to do yesterday. These, these aren't minor things. These, don't, don't feel bad if you find it hard. I think if everybody in here were honest, they would say it's hard. Our flesh is so empowering, so overwhelming, and it constantly has a voice as the old man nature. This isn't important. The Browns are playing. This isn't important. What about the Broncos? All of these distractions of the world... And it filters into our flesh and our desire to do something else, something easy, something comfortable, something fast. It's leaven. It's leaven. Quite literally, gluten allergies have come up in the last few years because of what we use to make food faster and make food last longer. It's a dangerous game of leavening. Beloved, beware. Take heed and beware. The twelve still lack spiritual understanding. And again, it is to their shame, yes, but we're with them. Matthew Henry says, When we forget the works of God and distrust Him, we should chide ourselves severely, as Christ here reproves His disciples. How is it that we so often mistake this meaning, disregard His warnings, and distrust His providence? How our mind dwells on the bread which we are wanting, and how readily it forgets former times when all such wants were abruptly or, or abundantly supplied. The many baskets which were so amply filled by former providences were the disciples' own share and store. And therefore they ought not to have forgotten the miraculous festivals. Even the empty baskets should have refreshed their memories and reminded them of how they had twice been filled. Charles Spurgeon Oh, how valuable it should be to the believer to number and revisit the blessings of God that we not forget that he cares for us. Those T's and P's that I mentioned a while back, those tries and provens. This is your Bible. Litter it up with 
tried, proven, tried, proven. God was here. This is the event on such and such date and time in my life when God showed up in a way I didn't expect, providing a baby we didn't think was possible, providing a calling to a church we didn't know we'd ever pastor, and so on and so forth. God is real. We should see T's and P's up and down the margin. What if Elijah was doing the same? God showed up before those false prophets. When he called down fire, Elijah didn't command God. Don't misread that. He could have sat down that night, tried and proven, right here in Kings, God was here. God was here with me. Maybe if he had, the next chapter would be a little bit more pleasant to read. Instead, we read on Mount Carmel, Jezebel wants my head. I'm the only one. End it now. This is miserable. This is hard work. And I don't say this to make Elijah sound like a wimp. He's a thousand times more faithful than I probably am. But when we are so short-sighted that we only see what we need next and not what we've been blessed with in the past, we forget where the blessings come from. We start to think that it can only be manufactured from what we bring to the table. Don't be fretful that you didn't bring enough bread. God will provide his own sacrifice. Note that of the four retirements, each was in heathen territory, where Greek influence prevailed, where the Greek language was also dominant. They were in Eturia twice, Phoenicia, and then the previous one, which was in Decapolis. These were uh, not violent areas, as I said in the introduction, yet. But these were strange areas for such hard lessons on leaven, uh, such hard confrontation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we'll see this escalate as he's teaching harder lessons to the disciples, and he's, he's living out the commission that he's given us. But there's no land here where he doesn't go to preach this truth. May we be challenged to indeed, as Isaac said in his prayer earlier, indeed strive to be Christ-like, not our depiction of him, not... Uh, what we're willing to do to be like him, but what he actually is foretold to be, what he's actually revealed to be like in the scriptures themselves.